Tuesday Night Talk is a part of Real Sound Reviews YouTube channel where I make tutorial, reviews and many incredible things to help you in sound creation. You can support by donation on patreon.com zdv and indeed subscribe to never miss a single episode. Tuesday Night Talk. Today I'm very glad to receive Valger Sigurdsson. Hi. Hey. Hi. Uh, just a couple of words to introduce your work. Uh, as a sound engineer and producer, you've been working with uh, great artists like Bjork, Bonnie Prince Billy, Sigur Ross. Not only them, but uh, they are worth to mention as um, and um, today we are going to talk more about your musical work as a composer and uh, more specifically the uh, original soundtrack of uh, Gvika, uh, Gvika, the original soundtrack of Little Kingdom, a uh, very beautiful movie uh, by the way and um, so how did you um, end up uh, working on this um, on this music um, uh, what were the, the elements you had when uh, you started writing it uh, did you have some elements of, of the movie or did you uh, start from scratch um, I when I was approached to to do the score for uh, little kingdom it was actually way before the film was uh, shot. So uh, I had a lot of time to think about it and I had a lot of time to... Um, and actually, I didn't immediately decide to do it. I was waiting for the script to be uh, completed and, and I, I met with the... You know, there was a kind of a... a it kind of changed quite a lot along the way. And once there was... Um, uh, Peter Magat was the um, assigned as the director, and, and we had a new script from Kevin Glass, and and um, things kind of started to get a bit more kind of take a bit more solid shape uh, from the initial ideas that the producers had presented. Then I I got um, excited about the project and and uh, started to work with Peter on on sort of. Um, you know, spotting out the the music cue places and what the music should be doing, what the purpose of the music in the film was. And so I started from actually the, the film itself. Um, and I didn't uh, write music beforehand. But I actually, um, like I, I often do when I, I work with um, a score for uh, either, actually it doesn't matter if it's a film or a dance piece or theater, mm -hmm. I, I kind of tend to uh, go away from it and just think about the music and, and, and create a lot of material. And and for with specific places in mind, and sometimes I just let the um, let the music take over and guide the way and then, then I, I revisit the story and the context it's supposed to be in and and, and sort of shape it um, according to that. 
So I'm I'm rarely scoring, um, you know, a piece from a specific queue to the end of the queue uh, just to fit it there. I, I I usually work on it as a piece of music and then I adjust it to um, to the addition of the to, movie. Yeah, without the movie, and then I I, I look at the movie and and uh, you know see. It. First of all, if the and often the, I mean it sometimes it ends up that um, it turns out that the music ends up in a different place than I had in mind, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so um, so it's not like a linear thing. I I, I just uh, uh, create material and and let it kind of take on a, a separate life and then bring it back into the project. Okay, I, yeah, it it is striking when one watches the movie how. It uh, corresponds to uh, the addition and uh, the montage uh, very uh, precisely. So how uh, the mm. recording process uh, occurred, you went to Slovakia, you recorded um, the, um, the uh, local orchestra and musician yourself? So I had the opportunity through this project to call in uh, players and singers some musicians from Slovakia, yes, and uh, but I had to just due to um, timelines and and schedules, I had to send them the scores and do remote sessions. And I have to say that actually worked out incredibly well. They really responded to uh, my my uh, instructions and and the uh, material that I sent. I had a music uh, coordinator over there that I. Um, uh, communicated with and and it seems like those ideas and, and the plans they really translated well so um, it was a lot of players actually so um, so it was a you know a bit um, I mean it's all you always want to be there to to be spontaneous but you know having yeah that not being possible I just had to make extra provisions for making um, alternative takes and different versions that you know could be used if if needed and and actually the material that came back just um, you know I, ha- I had several you know, back and forth but uh, mm-hmm. it was all very um, both like sound wise and the way the players approached um, the music and and so uh, I, I got a lot of uh, good material back a lot of the more intimate uh, and, and um, the, the smaller sections and the soloists are recorded here at the studio mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, with, with people that I work with um, on a regular basis anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was more the bigger textures and, and, and choir and, and um, orchestral sounds that I was able to um, do with the musicians over there. Um, you. In a former interview about uh, dissonance, you uh, explained something that I found very, very interesting, that you split sometimes an orchestra in, in different parts. And here for Gvika, did you use this process, even if it was uh, remotely or yes? Um, yes and no. I mean, I use it um, uh, very often and and i think actually for film music this is quite um maybe not so unusual in, in a way it, it was more 
unusual, I guess, for um, classical recordings, where I started using this approach. Um, but film music actually um, actually it benefits a lot often from this process because you have the separation in the elements so you can often um, bring different things out in and out of the mix or cut them all together if the director decides that this is the wrong thing for the scene or mm -hmm. or, or you end up seeing that you're you're giving too much information even though it's a musical idea that you um that you know works with the the piece it doesn't necessarily always have a place in the movie so i, I think that having the the layers quite uh, separated is really helpful in, in film music. Um, and I do this, um, you know, also in the way I layer the electronic elements and, and percussion elements. And it's great to be able to pull everything apart and, and uh, just leave a little because sometimes, sometimes you don't need um, the full blown uh, arrangement in a scene where maybe there's sound design, there's dialogue, there's like, all these visual things that, so maybe you only need a little element to um, to make the biggest impact. Um, a question about Vika. You mentioned in the biography in Bandcamp that uh, the um, relationship to uh, magma, uh, and uh, of course that is uh, very relevant as you are living in Iceland and you originate from Iceland, but. Did you uh, really record some vibrations, or is it a metaphor? Uh, baby, baby. Uh, no, so it's well, it's a metaphor. Uh, actually, the the interesting thing about uh, the timing of all this, um, when I decided to release the album separately and 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 give it the Quaker name, um, which is magma, magma, as you say. Mm -hmm. um, Leading up to the release, I w there was there was some activity in the, in um, in um, the south, just sort of half an hour from here, close to the yeah, so so the south um, of Iceland. There, and you've heard, maybe heard about this eruption that then uh, happened, and it happened a week before the album came out. <laughs> that was a complete coincidence and, and I, I, I couldn't even have planned that, you know. Um, so the earth kind of did a, its own, own sort of visual spectacle. <laughs> well, I felt, you know, I felt that it was kind of celebrating with me the release of the album. But Connected with the universe is, uh, <laughs> as always, for good music. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was, it was, um, it was, more as a metaphor, the, I felt like um, it was a good name for this music because I, I kind of felt that it was coming from uh, that place, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, what would you mention in your orchestral musical work as a influence, some artist who influenced you uh, with your work? Uh, I, I was thinking about maybe Harold Bird and Brian Eno sometimes, but just little touch like some piano is uh, really, really uh, on the edge of, you know, the, the keys are very subtle. I don't know if it's, if it's from the start scored like this or if it's the production, but uh, maybe you have some other 
references of the other day in on Facebook I saw you were speaking also about David Sylvian uh, mm. yeah I mean I grew up listening to David Sylvian Brian Eno uh, Harbert mm. all, all that music was important to me uh, growing up um, and you know the um, the uh, and, and before that the the new romantic pop music like Japan and and, and uh, you know electronic bands like Depeche Mode and um, mm -hmm. to rock like The Cure and, and The Smiths and all that stuff um, and uh, so that's kind of uh, my teens I guess mm -hmm. and I I don't know what I mean I, I'm sure as anything that you kind of consume, it, it sort of makes you. It, it kind of accumulates to, and then you digest it, and, and it becomes something. But um, it's not music that I necessarily listen to a lot today, um, or hardly. But I yeah, occasionally. But um, I don't know. It's always hard to <clears throat> hard to say with uh, with stuff like that. What what's um, an influence and what's, um, I guess with the orchestration, because I'm a self-taught composer in, in, in that, I didn't uh, learn orchestration or, or composition. Um, so I guess I've, I've learned a lot of that side of the craft from, you know, working with, you know, composers on, on the on the label, on bedroom community, like uh, Nico Muley and Daniel Bernason. And you know the players that I work with, Daniel um, Pioro, Liam Byrne, um, and so on. So uh, I think that um, that's you know I, I think I'm always, and that's what excites me about um, you know finding new challenges and, and new um, discoveries that I feel like every day every every day is a learning. Um, day of discovery and learning, and and that's that's in composition as much as you know in in the studio and 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 with electronics. I understand. Otherwise, it could get boring, or you feel like you don't go through hundred percent of the process. Maybe. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, um, uh, I don't. I just don't know any other way to do it. Yes, but and one of my question would be also you you do all of the process from sound recording most of the time to mastering. Mm -hmm. I used to do the same, and is it not sometimes a little? Don't you think it's a little crazy to do the whole process? Did you sometimes had wanted to uh, work with someone, for example, for mastering, or is it absolutely? there is no way to uh, you prefer to do the way you are doing I think with mastering uh, and a lot of the the lot of the things that I do if it's my own music that's the process that I I kind of need mm -hmm. I need to sort of take all these steps and I feel like um, mastering is in that uh, you know, I, I leave certain things for the mastering that I wouldn't leave if I 
and I didn't leave before I sort of started seriously doing um, mastering both for myself and, and others. Um, I would, yeah, I would probably see, you know, when, when, when you, when you deliver something for mastering, it's different for me than when I say that things are ready for myself to master it. It's still a work in progress and it's still mm -hmm. a lot of options that I'm, and a lot of decision that I, that I'm making in the mastering stage. Um, and it ha it has just become, um, an important part of, of the creative process for me. Um, It's different when I do mastering for other people um, because then I'm, I'm more detached from the material, mm -hmm. obviously, because it's usually something that I'm hearing either. Either I'm hearing it, I've had something to do with the process of it or production or, or maybe the mix or, but if it's something that I haven't touched at all in the production stage, then, um, then I'm coming at it from a completely neutral uh, perspective, which I often wish that I could, you know, in my own music, because it's always, you know, you always want that to be able to kind of get out of the, um, get out of the like space that you were in when you created something mm -hmm. and hear it as a listener. So I, I, my trick to do that is to listen to things in different contexts and, 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 and and refuse to listen to it for a while, and then revisit it, and, mm -hmm. and come try to come at it fresh. But I, it's different when when it's um, an external. Let's say uh, you know some someone sends me a, a finished uh, mix for mastering, then it, it then it becomes this more kind of uh, technical. Um, it's almost like a puzzle you have to solve and. And you have to see the kind of overall picture and, and, and see like what the details are that can be improved or, or, or also be just uh, respectful to the material and, and, and the ideas of the people who created it. And, and sometimes, you know, you, you don't want to, you don't need to um, fix a problem. You know, you, you're, there isn't a problem. So you just make it sound, sound as good as it can sound. And, and, but that for me is quite, e I find it quite easy to have that perspective on, uh, on a mix that I haven't really, uh, had anything to do with. So, so yeah. that I, I feel like mastering is, uh, almost like a good kind of good place for me to clear my mind of other, like composition that is so kind of all consuming and it really just. Um, absorbs in in the case of your music maybe some problems or some issues are solved already in, inside the mix and one of my question also would be when is there a clear border between sound experimentation in itself where you try to find a sound where you work on a specific group of instrument uh, with filters with whatsoever and the stage of mixing, uh, the, the moment where you, you put all this together. Um, because I, I feel that sometimes both cannot be absolutely separated. And maybe this is why many 
great people in the field of experimental music become, as a, a natural consequence, sound engineers. Uh, mm. well. I think there is a there is a clear uh, stage, yes, where I switch to my uh, mixing mode, but it it's always there also when I'm I'm putting the piece together. Uh, because I think that, I mean, especially with, uh, you know, working with all this, um, you can recall all the effects and all the, all the automation that you do in the process. Sometimes a, a big part of that becomes, uh, sort of stays with, um, the, the piece. And, um, I used to do, I used to more do a complete separate process where I would delete all the automation that I had cre created in the recording and just start from scratch. I don't really do that anymore because mm -hmm. now I, 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 same as with master, I think it's a continuation, but I always have to, um, almost like put on a slightly different, uh, lab code when it's a mixing, um, stage, you know, it's, a. um, it's, it's a sort of a conscious, moment that now you're you've sort of left the you left the writing part of it and and if it's my own music obviously there there are still a lot of things that can change and perspectives that can shift um so i leave all those options in and and even you know you a lot of the time it's just about eliminating options too because there's so many options mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's also one of a trick of modern sound production. Sometimes it's we have maybe too much possibilities, so we have to f we have to keep fo focusing. And about sound production, uh, what would be, in your opinion, for the last decade, uh, the critical changes that has been into mastering process? Because there is a new. Uh, element in the game which are uh, streaming platforms do you feel like it changed something absolutely critical or i would like to have your opinion and your feelings about this yeah i think mainly two things have happened uh first of all i think that the loudness war has ended which is a good thing <laughs> yeah sure uh, <laughs> But still, you know, you, you want your master to have um, impact and you want it to have, you know, mm -hmm. presence and clarity and and all those elements. It's But it, it's not necessarily about making it the loudest thing because, I mean, the the DSPs will turn it down if it's too loud. So, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think people have realized this. And, and um, so that demand and that kind of uh, race is, is not, you don't notice that anymore. Uh, the other thing is uh, the increase in vinyl. Obviously, um, there you know people are. Um, I find that people are almost sort of expecting vinyl to do something that vinyl cannot do or wasn't designed to do. I'm glad to hear that. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Which is being this hi-fi uh, platform, and uh, vinyl isn't hi-fi. It's 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 lo-fi and it's uh, it's character and it's. Whatever you, um, whatever you kind of connect with that emotionally, 
it's not a hi-fi platform and and it's not a full um you know it's 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 not a full dynamic like we've come to uh, get so used to with digital that you have to compromise slightly you have to compromise on on the width of the base and 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 the the spectrum of the frequencies and and of um, of limiting and all those things that you know the the physical format just presents and and I think that um, it has become a bit of a challenge sometimes to translate digital into analog in this sense that people expect it to be able to do more than it actually uh, maybe is capable of. Mm-hmm. So um, it takes a bit of um, explaining sometimes. Yeah, it is a compromise. Yes, and there, I think there is a lot of confusion in the, even from musician uh, regarding this uh, question. One of my fear about the, the streaming platform, and uh, I would like to imagine with you some kind of work, worst case scenario, which is that uh, maybe Spotify, uh, Deezer, Apple, they will provide some kind of standalone or plugin that maybe people will use uh, to really stick to one format. Of, uh, of dynamic range or EQ, and uh, it could destroy the uh, variety and uh, wide range of uh, experimentation and sound production. I don't have any certainty about this, indeed, but maybe you um, you came maybe sometimes to that conclusion, or I, I would like to hear you about this. Do you mean if there was one like unified yes. standard in all the DSPI? Yes. Well, I mean, CD had that or has that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that was a negative thing. It would just made our job uh, clearer as as mastering people, and um, we were trying to work. We were kind of working with this very specific framework, and um, I think that the issue now is that there are di- there are different compressions applied by YouTube, by mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spotify, by Apple, all and, and they all claim to, you know, they're all like sort of optimizing their servers and, and <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to deliver as much quality, I guess, as they're able to uh, and still being a reliable streaming platform. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if before too long, there will be a, a common standard because, you know, you, you see how fast this, um, all the bandwidth is increasing and, and, and I think all, all of it so far has to do with the limited bandwidth is the, if you, if you could stream uh, lossless, uh, uncompressed audio, I guess you would or um but it's just not reliable at the moment for um wi-fi or 4g or whatever it is that the 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 bandwidth that is delivered to you um and i i guess that it's a it's a compromise because of that and they try to develop their own plugin uh, their own um codecs for solving these problems Mm -hmm. might just disappear 
like many many of these problems just disappear and we not, don't notice that they're they're gone. Um, I, I I mean I, I think it would be would be good. Um, mm-hmm. the, the rules of the games being clear, we will have to be creative thanks to these limits that what you would say also the, the kind of uh, 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 yes the, because the in the old days I think vinyl um, made, made necessary for some sound engineers also to be really neat and, and good regarding phases interaction transient frequencies so and, and you said the same for for CDs. Mm-hmm. Just That's quite interesting to think that a format that is now what, 40 years old, mm-hmm. the CD, or what, yeah, 40 years old maybe, or more, um, is still kind of uh, the best. Um, you know, you can have uh, a higher sample rate and a higher bit rate, of course, in your uh, in the studio, but as a consumer format, the CD is kind of the most hi-fi that we Mm-hmm. that we have and it hasn't really evolved so that's a, that's quite interesting yeah the super audio CD didn't well uh, didn't work very well you can <laughs> for classical music you still have some labels using it but it's really rare uh, okay yeah Mm-mm. I don't know anyone who buys a super audio CD I mean I don't really know a lot of people who buy CDs but you know, people buy vinyl or they stream or they buy vinyl and then they stream it and they, they never, uh, they, they kind of collect the vinyl, you know, they, might, they play it a few times maybe. Um, I think, you know, yeah, they're, they're, um, people are buying CDs like from, from bedroom community. Yeah, we noticed on the, on the store that, you know, and um, so that it's still, the format is still alive, but um yeah, I don't know. It's uh, <clears throat> in classical music. Some people are still buying yeah, and, CDs, and then some some territories of the world are still really strong in, in CDs. So mm-hmm. yeah. uh, maybe uh, my last uh, question um, that I call the magic question is: uh, Could you tell us um, in your recollection, in your memories, what is the oldest? Souvenir memory that linked to music that comes to your mind in your childhood or your first relationship with music. Um, I have a memory of uh, listening to an Elvis Presley record on my dad's uh, record player, mm-hmm, and that's mm-hmm. a strong, very strong memory. I think I was like maybe five, five years old. Mm-hmm. And somehow that's a striking memory. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I, I um, it's just like, I, I remember like watching that, the needle on the player and the, 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 the record spinning and, and, you know, and I also remember you, because you can hear from the, even if the, the speakers are turned down, you can you get oh. close to it, you can hear the, yes. A little yes. bit of the the music on just the needle on the in the groove, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so sort of going closer and and turning it up and down and hearing how it came out of the speakers and how it came from the directly from the needle. So that's a memory that you know I I've always kind of <laughs> held. 
And it, I remember, especially because the, it was an Elvis record, and and the image on the cover was striking too. Him with a with a it was a red um, red background and white suit. I think it was. Uh, so the whole kind of whole package and 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 the experience of holding an object, um, listening to the the music coming from this this spinning thing and you know seeing the picture of the person singing it it's quite strong <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful beautiful uh, memory yes so thank you very much uh, for uh, this interview I'm very glad if you enjoy watching this content please smash the like button consider subscribing and hit the notification bell it makes a lot of difference for the growth of this channel let us know in the comment down below, do you agree or disagree with this vinyl perception? And uh, huge thanks for watching and I will see you on this channel very soon.